This is a remote voice podcast from Arnhem Land in Australia's Northern Territory. And my name is Daniel Silva, and this is the first in a series of weekly letters that I'm writing from Arnhem Land, telling the story of my time here. So I started writing these letters on the 15th of July, so this one was written then, and I'm recording the first five retrospectively. But from the sixth one on, I will be um, recording them as I'm writing them. So the format for these podcasts of this series called Letters Home is that I will each week give a short introduction and then read the letter and then follow it with a few comments by way of reflection. Uh, just so you know, I've changed most of the names uh, in these letters. Um, not all, some are the same because they're people that are uh, well-known in a, in a public way. But anyone who's not uh, a public figure, I've changed their name. And if you'd like to get in touch with me or subscribe to receive the written uh, letters by email, you can do that at my website, danielsilver.work. And you can also see some photos um, there of uh, where I am and what I'm doing. And if you'd like uh, more information generally about me and um, this series of um, letters and and also just by way of general introduction to this podcast, I have recorded a introductory episode which precedes this one. Okay, so by way of introduction to this letter, this was the first letter I wrote when I arrived in Arnhem Land, which is an indigenous reservation in Australia and has been since 1931. And in many ways, it's like another country within a country. Um, a lot of um, the Yolngu people here uh, try and live in as traditional a way as they can, but at the sort of meeting of cultures in the settlements dotted around the place, and by virtue of the fact that um, sort of government presence has been um, varied and... Uh, how would you say, sometimes um, paternalistic overly in some areas. So there's definitely a sort of uh, a tension, a tension between these two cultures that's being played out in the people's lives as they try to reimagine their traditional ways in the context of something that's, um, well, probably irreversibly changed. So when I first arrived in Arnhem Land, it was quite a shock. And I had planned to spend my first two weeks in a place called Birichimi or Wallaby Beach, learning how to make yidaki, which is didgeridoo with an elder, uh, the oldest custodian of uh, Yidaki in 
Arnhem Land, uh, which is where that instrument actually comes from. And I suppose I had certain expectations and everything was sort of blown out of the water. And what I discovered was um, well enough to compel me to have to write about it to try and hold every competing thought and image and sentence and I suppose that experience was actually the impetus for writing these letters generally. So that's uh, by way of introduction and now I'll read the letter and I'll follow it with just a few reflections. Okay, this letter's called Infinite Dyad. So far this trip has been an infinite dyad of beauty and ugliness, each made more so by the terrific magnitude of its other. I'm staying in Wallaby Beach, a settlement of 20 houses shared between five or six large family groups and a store which sells soft drinks and chocolate, 10 kilometres from the nearby town of Nullenboy. The houses were built by a mining company 30-odd years ago using asbestos and concrete. They are all in disrepair. Jalu Guruwiwi, the man I came here to meet, lives in number nine. I am staying in number five. Rena, one of his daughters, lives between us in number seven. I share number five with two, sometimes three, 20-something-year-old boys. We have no fridge, no working stove, and the bathroom is several smells from clean. One night, there was a dinner plate-sized frog in the toilet. I've been into Rena's house, which is tidy, if not clean. She takes pride in it, though there's nothing she can do about the black mould that spills along the joins in the ceiling boards. And I've been into Jalu's house, which is neither tidy nor clean. Surrounding all the houses on all sides is litter. Lots of it. Ten pieces to a square metre, mainly packaging for food and drink. You must understand, these houses are ugly, and the people in them as poor as their condition. And you must also understand that these houses are nestled in paradise. The ocean is a stone's throw from the front door and glows every shade of blue. It laps on white sand scattered with pieces of coral remains lined by mango trees, coconut palms and casuarinas. There are hundreds of small birds, occasional eagles, dolphins and the odd saltwater crocodile. The kids tell me a big one lives nearby. It was spotted walking the beach at 6am last Thursday. Whomever saw it would have witnessed a three metre lizard walking past an old bicycle lying half submerged in an iridescent ocean. Earlier this year Prince Charles flew to this place to meet Jalukuruwiwi and have him play yidaki, didgeridoo, into his chest to help heal an ailment. When Jalu and others tell the story, they are most impressed by the fact that Prince Charles was the only member of his party to take off his glove when shaking Jalu's hand. Everyone here consumes a lot of sugar and packaged foods. Some people drink two litres of soft drink every day, and the older people can smoke a pack of cigarettes in the same time. It costs $30 for a taxi to the supermarket in town, that's a $60 round trip for anyone without a car. At the moment that includes Jalu, his wife Dopia, and the six or seven people that live with them in number nine. Most days, 
The kids go hunting for fish with spears fashioned from the stems of young trees. The old people don't hunt. The people in the middle can hunt, but their demographic seems the most troubled out here. They appear caught between worlds. A few work at the mine. Some spend their days playing out American hip-hop stereotypes to the dismay of the older women, while others wander aimlessly between the shop and their homes, drinking soft drink and waiting for footy training. I'm told that 20 years ago the people in the middle would light fires and cook food every night. The old people would come and sit and tell stories and the young people would dance. But these nights, loud electronic music blasts continuously from number six and the old people stay indoors. In the morning the young people tell me which of their older cousins was drinking. And there are some exceptions to the disillusionment. Two of Jalu's sons, Larry and Vernon, plan to take on the task of welcoming Balanda, that's white people, to Wallaby Beach after Jalu passes away. They both intend to continue teaching history and playing Yudaki. And there's the kids. They know every song, rhythm and dance. One boy, Isaac, took it upon himself to be my teacher. One night he came to get me from my room and led me to the beach. He had built a small fire and placed a rock next to it for me to sit on. Next to that was an overturned wheelbarrow that acted as an amplifier for the Yudaki. And for two hours we played ceremony, in much the same way that city kids might play house. He taught me the songs and dances and explained to me their meanings. At one point, a dolphin approached. Isaac got to his feet and asked that I hold the end of the Yudaki towards it. Then he played the traditional dolphin song over and over. Afterwards, he sat me down on the rock and played Yudaki into my chest. Then he shared a story with me, a dreaming about Yudaki. It was the same story he'd been told by Jalu. And the next day, Isaac gave me a Yungu name, Mujalajal, which means dolphin. It was a game, like house. The kids here are tremendous athletes. They play throwing games a lot, pegging stones at birds, throwing spears and skipping rocks. They have amazing hand-eye coordination and agility and they love sport, especially Australian rules football. Everyone does. It's tribal, no other way to describe it. Game day is a celebration. Those who play for Baywara, the local team, are revered and forgiven. One night I was talking with Rena. She was opening up to me about some of her hopes and dreams for the community, about the trials and tribulations of her life and faith. At one point she spoke of a dream she had a few nights previous. It was full of powerful symbols. She interpreted it as an omen that Baywara would win the league this season. She hoped desperately that it would be so, as if her very future depended on it. If this all seems a bit confused, trust me, I know. And remember that I have very naive eyes. And one day we went out hunting for Yudaki, Jalu Dopia and their daughter Mala, together with a group of six Balanda, including Jimmy, who comes up once a year from Victoria and has a land cruiser. We stopped at a stretch of bushland Dopia seemed to know well, got out and began walking around knocking on the young trees with the butt of an axe. When Jalu Dopia Omala heard the right sound, we'd chop down the hollow tree and cut it to length, then load the raw Yudaki logs onto the land cruiser. After a few hours of hard work, we drove to a nearby stream and had a swim, lit a fire and cooked some meat that someone had brought. Sitting there by the stream, Dopia munched the root of a plant she'd identified as edible from a distance of about 20 metres, while tying together a bunch of leaves that she would later use for weaving and rummaging in her bag for another cigarette. 
Jalu nibbled on trail mix, the hardest food he can eat, and Mila spread jam and butter on slices of Helga's. On a personal note, I'm doing okay. It hasn't been an easy adjustment. I found it difficult, sad and painful. I've been awestruck and overwhelmed. Mostly overwhelmed. I've sought refuge in my books and research, taking recordings and illustrating sounds, reading philosophy and daydreaming about poetry. How alien those things seem out here, and yet how familiar. I suppose I feel most of the time like an alien, with alien interests and an alien language, landed here on an alien spaceship to do some alien research before returning to my alien planet and alien friends. It's lonely work. But on Thursday I'm heading to Lake Avella, to my school placement. I'm looking forward to having a stove and the familiar routines of a school week. I'm looking forward to working with the kids there, making some friends and further developing my ideas. In the meantime, I'm going to finish making the yudaki I started yesterday, hang out with the kids, light a fire at sunset, learn some more stories, and take big sips of small joys. I'll ride again when I'm in Lake Avella. With lots of love, Daniel. Well, a few postscripts. Well, only one. It's, it's a strange thing to read that letter now. Only five weeks since then, and yet, well, so much has happened. I have nothing else to say for this one and I hope you found it meaningful and next time will be letter number two.